Uh, joining us now, Richard Zussman, Global News Legislative Reporter. Hello, uh, Richard. Hey, happy afternoon, Jazz. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this living wage at the city of Vancouver saying uh, we're, 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 we're backing off here. And as I said, uh, employees already make $24 or more there that are employees there, plus extended health, plus uh, dental, plus a defined benefit pension plan. Uh, I mean, I, I, just, I get the purpose of why they're doing this, what the, why they're advocating this, and it is an expensive city. Um, but one wonders sometimes these activists, why not push harder for an for an NDP government and raise that minimum wage and try to do it that way, you know? Yeah, and the living wage is something they've considered at a provincial level as well. I think the challenge here is to put the burden on certain organizations, especially when they are municipal governments. It is a heavy burden to take when there's no support coming from the province in this regard. And I think people agree that those that live in Vancouver need to make a living wage. Living here is expensive. Uh, it is getting more so. It is challenging around the issues of housing, around transportation, and now with inflationary costs, it's getting even harder. I don't think we disagree on that, but the question is, who covers the costs? And it should universally be agreed that the province and the federal government should be the levels chipping something in to support this. And leaving the burden on one-off municipalities or organizations makes it very, very challenging. And the province has looked at it. They've looked at pilots in some communities, uh, what it looks like to have a living wage, but they haven't been able to do it yet in the really expensive cities like Metro Vancouver and the Capital Regional District. And once they can get to that point, then we can truly understand if this is something that's feasible or not and help support the economy. Because the argument is, Jazz, you you know well that if people get paid more, they can spend more, uh, boost the economy, they can ensure that their kids have more opportunities, and that money gets cycled back through a healthier economy but the province isn't ready yet to try it at, at that sort of scale. Yeah, and, and uh, you know what? Like I said before, uh, if someone says a 17% increase, well, usually in, in government, certainly, you already have a union contract. So you're going to now impose this living wage on top of what has already been agreed upon, number one. And what if those living that living wage goes down one year? And it has gone down sometimes. Things have gotten a little cheaper, and this is certainly not that, that period, but it can drop by 1% or 2%. Are you telling that person that they've got to take a, a very small pay cut? That's part of the issue as well. I think the better way to do it, maybe I'm wrong here, but let's work towards a $10 a day daycare system where instead yeah. of paying $2,500 a month for, for, for parents, uh, for, for their child or two kids, uh, let's see, get that down to 800 or $500. That extra $2,000 in your pocket will have a significant impact. And that's what we should be working towards. And then the parents can work in, uh, in their regular job, perhaps longer hours. Generally speaking, the, the, the $10 a day daycare pays for itself because there's greater economic, uh, there's greater work uh, provided by those two parents, uh, uplift in the GDP. That's how we should be looking at it. I'm not sure if this is the way to do it. Maybe I'm wrong, but it is going to be an ongoing conversation. And I'll be the first to admit it is not cheap to live in Vancouver um, and you want to help people out, but I'm not just, I'm just saying that perhaps this isn't the right way to go. That's all. It's not, it's not just childcare, right? There's support that's come on the transit level. Uh, Kids now ride transit for free in British Columbia. There are other ways the problem is attempting to address that affordability piece. And when you require or, or or municipalities feel that they need to put it on themselves, that's a burden that is just too hard to carry. And the province has greater ability to help cover that burden if that's the way to go. But the but like you said, the province may 
have better places to spend the money to address those overall issues of affordability and, and ensuring that the economy stays healthy here. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, switch over to another topic, and that being, of course, the legislature and politics. Uh, Fort St. John City Councilor Trevor Boland said he's stepping down uh, from his role as leader of the Provincial Conservative Party. Now, most people may not know who he is, and the party just generally doesn't attract enough votes that its candidates get elected, but they do attract enough votes where they can split the, the center-right vote uh, in certain ridings, which can prevent, uh, present a headache for uh, BC Liberals. Uh, now, of course, this announcement today that he was stepping down comes, uh, of course, after uh, BC Liberal MLA John Rusted, who jumping to the Conservatives last month for his riding of the Nechaco Lakes area. Uh, he disagreed with the BC Liberals. He is now sitting as an independent. What does this all mean in regards to Mr. Boland stepping down as a provincial leader of the Conservative Party and Mr. Rustad um, yeah. as an independent? It means a lot. It's important to note, too, that Rustad was booted out of the Liberal caucus Mm -hmm. uh, before making that decision to join the B.C. Conservatives. The likelihood is we will hear something from him next week that he is interested in the leadership. It is hard to be a leader of a political party if you're not part of the action in Victoria. And I think with an MLA, the Conservatives saw an opportunity here that Trevor Bolin had been a steward for the party, but but had not had any real presence uh, in Victoria or Metro Vancouver. And now this gives an opportunity to have someone who is in the legislature potentially serve as the leader. What could also be happening here is the Conservative Party of BC could be looking at other Liberals in an attempt to recruit them to join and potentially say, well, you could be considered to be our leader if you join. And I know that recruitment pitch is on. The BC Liberals have said none of their MLAs are interested in this proposition, but no doubt there will be Conservative uh, party of BC members who are asking and potentially pushing uh, for that. And uh, the likelihood is we may have a new leader by June. Uh, we will see who that is. One name that a lot of people bring up is Trevor Gunn. He's a, a guy who ran, or Aaron Gunn, sorry, Aaron Gunn. He mm-hmm. ran for, he wanted to run for the BC Liberal leadership. He was rejected by the party. He is hugely popular on social media. His videos in some cases get millions of views. What I am hearing is he is likely going to run federally for the federal conservative. So Aaron Gunn would not consider this provincial opportunity. But like you said, this party could be a disruptor here in the next election and make it really hard for Kevin Falcon if the conservatives are a viable option for center-right British Columbians. Falcon will have to defend his positions to them while also attempting to move into the center-left and and take those votes away from the NDP to govern. That makes it harder for a leader. So even though, you know, whoever the next conservative leader is here will not be the premier of British Columbia, they could really shape the political battlefield. Richard, thank you. My pleasure as always. Have a great weekend.